Certainly appreciate the good message that we've heard here already. And Brother Luke, you don't owe me any any time back at all whatsoever. Uh, great to hear those wonderful truths proclaimed that are so needed. We'll continue this morning in our series on the Hall of Faith, the Great Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. And as you turn there to Hebrews 11, I just want to ask you this. What if God whispered in your ear this morning and said, I'm coming back in 40 days? And don't you know that that would have a tremendous impact on what you did in the next 40 days? I mean, if God whispered to you and you alone and said, uh, Brother Tim, or fill in your blank, sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, I'm coming back in 40 days. I tell you, that would, it would revamp and revitalize, and there would be many things that I, would, I know I would do different in the next 40 days. And as we look in the great hall of faith this morning, that's basically what happened in the days of Noah. If you read in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. You see, God came to Noah during a very dark and difficult time. I've tried over the last year or so, we've mentioned Noah, we've mentioned the days leading up to the flood, and we've seen how that compares to the days even that we're living in today. Uh, and I've tried to really help paint the picture of just how bad it was in the days leading up to uh, the flood of Noah's time. And you notice how that also ties in with our journey into the great hall of faith. In order to believe in the flood, you have to believe that there was a creator and that there is one who can judge. And you see, that ties into the very reason we're in the great hall of faith. You must believe as a child of God and a creator God. It makes more sense to believe in creation than it does in evolution or the theory of evolution or anything else. And, and by the way, you know, I put an article in the uh, local, several of the local papers have been doing that for about 15 years. And without exception, every single time I write about creation versus evolution, uh, I get a, a nasty letter to the editor from somebody. Usually it's the same guy, but I'm not going to mention who he is. Um, but without exception, uh, that stirs up more trouble uh, whenever people begin to read that and they, they think, well, you know, all the experts say it's got to be evolution. But the Word of God interprets the evidence for you in a way that you see there's a creator God. And that ties in to the flood because the flood is evidence of that creator God and all of the things you see around you, whether it's the fossil record or whether it's um, whatever you look at regarding a great catastrophe that occurred. It points to the flood. And so you see, Noah was not some fictional character like some fairy tale. Noah was a real man in a real situation that was very difficult. And he was no doubt troubled by the society and the things that was around him. And God comes and basically whispers in his ear. And he says in Genesis, the sixth chapter, if you want to keep a finger there at Hebrews 11 and then look at Genesis 6, God specifically singles out Noah, and he says in verse um, 13, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
That's some, that's some troubling news right there. What if the Lord said, the end of all flesh has come upon this earth. I'll be returning in 40 days. In this case, it was about 120 years, we think. Because it took about that long for Noah to build the ark. You can imagine all of the great effort that he had to put in. But you say, well, I just don't think I could ever do what Noah did. Well, no, the Lord's not asking you to build an ark, in the, a physical ark, in the way that Noah built it. But the point of this example of faith is that Noah was moved with fear. That's what was the impetus. That's what was, drove Noah to go forward to do what he did. He was moved with fear. Now, this is not uh, the fear like you would be afraid somebody's going to smash you or kill you or destroy you. But there was an, an element of respect in this fear that Noah believed what God said. And we all say, of course, well, if God would just whisper in my ear or something like that, I'd believe it too. Well, in, in, a, in a sense of faith, he has done that. He has whispered in your ear every single day when you open this book and you look into this book. That's God whispering in your ear, telling you about his character, telling you about his return, telling you about what he requires of us to follow him telling us about how women, uh, young women can become virtuous women, how young men can find virtuous women. You see, all those things are answered in the Word of God. You see, God came to Noah and said, the end of all flesh is, is upon the earth. And so Noah was moved with fear. The definition of fear, or the whole phrase, moved with fear. It, the definition of that phrase is to be circumspect. If you're not familiar with that word, it means to act with caution it also means to be apprehensive, as though somebody would tell you something and you go, oh, this is a serious deal. This word, this phrase occurs only one other place in the scripture. And it's interesting to me that both of the places that it occurs, it has to do with saving lives. Okay, Acts 23 and 10, this is where the centurion looked down and they saw how the mob, he saw how the mob was about to pull the apostle Paul apart and was going to kill him. And it says that he feared that Paul was going to be killed by the mob. So he went down into the, the mob with his centurions and he separated them and took Paul into safe custody. So the only two times that it occurs in the scripture, it has to do with the saving of life. You see, Noah was moved with fear to save the lives of himself, his wife, his sons, and their wives. So I want to emphasize that, how serious this Example is that we look at. You want to save, and listen to me now. You understand? There's different uh, different types of salvation in the Scripture. You, it would be ludicrous to assert that Noah was saving his family from hell, right? That doesn't make any sense. It would be ludicrous to uh, to say that the centurion, when he went down there and took Paul out of the crowd, out of the mob, that he was saving Paul from hell. See, that doesn't make any sense. We're talking about saving lives now, not in the sweet by and by, but as I've said many times, in the nasty now and now, <laughs> the nasty here and now. So you see, that's a different type of salvation that moved Noah in fear. He respected what God said. This is get off the train track when the train is coming kind of fear. <laughs> you understand? You're standing on a train track and you hear the whistle blow. That's a healthy fear, right? See, this was healthy fear. This is not a, a deep, dark, depressive type fear that sends someone into inactivity, which is definitely something that can occur with, and does occur with many of God's children. This is a respect and a reverent, reverential fear that moved him to action. See, 
get off the train track because the train's coming, kind of fear. Now, can you see how relevant this is today? What is moving many of us today? A fear of maybe getting a virus, a fear of of there's a germ out there, a fear of rioting, a fear of this, a fear. There's so much fear being marketed out there today. Just just turn off the TV for a day or two. I mean, it's going to be the same news a couple days later. (laughs) Just turn it off for a, a couple days and just engage the Word of God. Fast from the things of the world. I guarantee you that you'll have, if you're in the Word of God and you're praying and you fasted from those things that are on TV and those, the media, the merchants of fear that are out there promoting fear and speaking nothing but fear, I guarantee you you'll have a smile on your face. You'll feel more pleasant inside. Fast from those things. If you can't handle those things, fast forever from those things because those things that you see out there are not going to change one thing about when the Lord says, I'm coming. <laughs> You see, we are moved with an unhealthy fear out there in the world today. So what moves Noah? It's a reverential respect. And you know, it was also the secret that God gave to Noah. You know, he didn't go and broadcast this to everyone. God came to Noah. It says that Noah, if you look in Genesis 6, it says that these are the generations of Noah. This is verse 9. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. This doesn't mean that he had no sin, okay? But it means that he, the word just means lawful. This was a man who obeyed the law. And by the way, there weren't that many laws around at the time to obey. (laughs) I've got an entire library full of law books for the state of Alabama. (laughs) Just thousands of pages of law after law after law. (laughs) You say, well, Brother Tim, you're a lawyer. You're supposed to know all those. (laughs) Not hardly. That's why I've got an index and a glossary and things that I can look up. There's no way to know those thousands of pages in and of themselves. Now, I'm certainly more familiar with some than with others. But there weren't that many laws around in the days of Noah. Noah was a lawful man. He was observing the law. And it says that he was perfect. The word perfect, it means that he walked in truth, that he walked in integrity. It was his desire and focus to be a truthful man. He had integrity. That's what God respects. And it says that he walked with God. Where he went and what he did... He walked with God. You see, God came and told Noah, the end of all flesh is upon you. And Noah moved based on that secret warning. Genesis 18 and 17 speaks about the secret of God. There's several times you'll see in the word of God, he'll speak of the secret of God. And everybody wants to know the secret, right? (laughs) Everybody wants in on some secret. Everybody loves that kind of thing. I do too. You know, whether it's a mystery novel that I'm reading and there's some secret to it or whatever. But I like to be in on the secret. Well, God is very um, stingy with his secrets. And there are obviously things about God that we'll never know until we see him in heaven. But in Genesis 18 and 17, you'll find a key to knowing the secret of God. This is whenever God has come to Abraham and he has said that Sarah's going to have a child. And now God has set his face to go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, which is where Abraham's nephew Lot is living in a terrible condition down there. And don't feel too sorry for Lot now because Lot has had multiple opportunities. Every day of his life, he could have returned to where Abraham was and he chose not to. So God has a conversation with himself in Genesis 18 and 17. And it says, the Lord said, shall I hide, keep secret from Abraham, that thing which I do? You know what God's fixing to do? He's fixing to go down into Sodom 
and see firsthand all of the terrible things that are going on in Sodom. The violence, the, uh, the fornication, the sexual immorality, the homosexuality. That's just a terrible circumstance that's there in the nation, in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, should I tell Abraham about that I'm fixing to go destroy that city? And watch what God says. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. God saw that Abraham was going to be, become that. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. You are blessed here today because of the faithfulness of Abraham. Which stemmed from God, of course. <laughs> he says, for I know him that he... Abraham will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And God goes on and tells Abraham his secret. You see the basis for why God gives Abraham his secret? Because God says, I know this man. He is a sincere man, and he wants to serve me and follow me at all costs. And so I'm going to give him some extra information. Oh, child of God, can we not see the relevance to that, of that to us today? To desire God more than anything that we desire, which is a difficult thing to do because of all the temptations that are around us. But God says, I'll tell Abraham what I'm going to do. And by the way, that was another instance of judgment. Just like God came to Noah and said, Noah, the end of all flesh is upon us, upon you. Build an ark. See, Psalm 25 and 14 says, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And I like this, and he will show them his covenant. Oh, listen, aren't you blessed to know the truth of salvation by grace? This is a little side note here. But isn't it a relief to know that God does the saving and not man or the preacher? Isn't it a relief to know that when you look in the mirror and you see the sinner that you are and you think, how could I ever rise to the level of being approved by God? And you realize the secret of the scripture, the secret of the gospel is that you will never rise to that level. But Christ has risen to that level. That's a relief from judgment, is it not? So you've got this little miniature thing going on like Noah, like Abraham. If you understand what God has done for you in, in salvation... It's not your good works that outweigh your bad works. It's not your choice. It's not this. It's not that. It is the choice of God. It is the righteousness of Christ that's been imputed to you. That's a secret that is worth telling anyone you meet when you have the opportunity. Because that's the good news. That's the gospel. You see, that's really not a secret anymore, although it is suppressed and very little known. Because when Jesus came and revealed, it's my righteousness that saves my children. See, that was a secret that had been kept uh, secret for generations. He made it known. That's the gospel. It's the good news. So if you're burdened this morning thinking, I'm not good enough, join the club. I'm not either. No man, woman, or child on the face of the earth is good enough. But Christ was good enough. <laughs> That's the message of the gospel. That's the secret of God. His salvation is, your salvation is tied up in Jesus Christ. So you see, this is a healthy fear. Abraham, uh, excuse me, Noah was not moved with a slavish fear like, oh, the Lord's going to smash me. No, the Lord said, I want you to build an ark so I'll save you from the, the judgment of the floodwaters. You see, it's not a slavish fear. It's the same kind of fear that my brother and I would have when we were growing up and mom and dad would leave. Well, they may be gone for the night. Or maybe they'd be gone for a few days on some trip they had to take and we'd stay with grandparents or uh, occasionally, you know, we'd, we'd go back when we were older, you know, we'd stay by ourselves in the house. You know, they'd say, no, you know, don't wreck the place. <laughs> and of course, you know, the first few 
days or first few hours that they're gone, gone, of course we wrecked the place. You know, we ransacked the place. You know, pull stuff out, leave it out, you know, leave everything scattered everywhere. You know, you, whenever you had dirty clothes, just throw them in the floor. <laughs> that was all well and good for the first few hours or the first few days. But then we look at the watch, the clock, and we say, they're going to be home. And they taught us to keep the place in good order. So you know what we did? We weren't going around, oh, they're going to kill us, they're going to kill us. We didn't go around doing that, just wander around uh, 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 wringing our hands and going, we're dead, we're dead. No, we got busy. We moved with respect for what they told us, you see. And we cleaned up the house. <laughs> and we felt really good about it when they come in and say, I speak in Spanish, that looks great. You know, they didn't see the disaster before. I'm, I'm telling secrets here, you know. But we cleaned it up. We did what they said. That's, that's the way Noah. God said, Noah, I'm going to do this. And Noah, I want you to build an ark. And so Noah was moved with fear. He, was, he respected God's word. Listen, now, listen to this now. There were no experts around. There were no prognosticators at that time saying, well, you know, I think that a flood's coming. Nobody, none, none of the experts. No, listen, the earth was new. It was probably only, you know, about 1,500, maybe 1,400 years old, the earth. Maybe 1,600. It wasn't even 2,000 years old. Nobody's thinking about the earth ending. These people are living for hundreds of years. Yes, they live for centuries. They're thinking, there's no end inside. I'm going to live forever. What, what judgment? What pronunciation of death was given in some garden years, centuries ago. I'm 750 years old. I'll never die. That's exactly how they were. Could you imagine if you lived for 900 years? I've thought about that before. What if I lived for 900 years? If I was 900 right now, I would have lived through centuries of war, uh, seen cities and nations rise and fall. Go back to if, if being heralding from the uh, genealogy that I come from, you know, Scotch-Irish, and maybe even European, you know, I would have seen things like the Black Death. I don't want to live 900 years. I don't want to see people after people after people dying. You know, there's a better place. There's a better way. These people in the days of Noah, they thought, well, there's no end in sight. There's no judgment. There was no prognosticators. And you know what? There was even most likely not any rain. I know that's debated. Some say, well, there may have been rain. There may not have been. There was at least a mist that watered the earth at that time. But there may have been no rain. And then here's, here goes Noah starting to build a boat on dry land based solely on... He said, Noah, why are you doing this? Well, God told me I needed to do this because judgment's coming. A flood's coming. A flood? Are you kidding me? There's no cloud in the sky. The sea is, you know, 200 miles away. Noah's he's crazy. He's lost his mind. No, Noah had an unwavering reliance on the truth of God's divine revelation. Noah believed in his own message, by the way. Every time he knocked a nail into the ark, every time he put a peg into the, into the wall of the ark, every time he put a board up, every time he did anything that he did, he was, he was acting in faith. You see, he was relying. He also believed his own message. When people would say, what are you doing? He didn't, he didn't go, huh? Yeah, you know, I'm just building a boat. You know. He wasn't like that. He was like, God told me judgment's coming. It's, it's coming. The flood's coming. I'm going to build a boat. So he wasn't scared to admit it. You ever been that way? Well, what do you believe? Are you a primitive Baptist? What do you believe? <laughs> you want the 30-second version or you want the 30-minute version? <laughs> you see, we should, be, we should be joyful over what we believe. We should be glad of what God has given us. We should understand and rejoice in the message of divine revelation from the Word of God. Noah did, and everything he did demonstrated that. See, Noah believed what he preached himself. You know, I, I at least want you to know that I believe what I preach. <laughs> How would it be if I got up here and I thought, well, I think, 
I'm, I'm kind of sort of sure that we're saved by grace. <sighs> I mean, I hope that's the way it is. I mean, my goodness. I mean, how? I want you to know that I believe what I preach. I want you to know that God has, has, has guided me in the Word of God to preach what I preach to you. Whether you, believe, whether you agree with it or not, I want you to believe that I believe it. And notice here, Noah being moved in fear. The, the cause of God's coming and judgment. I want you to notice this. Now, I looked at some commentaries, and this has been a sort of a, a scratching post of mine. I really like studying about the pre-flood world. Did you know that there, by historical account, ancient flood stories are almost universal around the world? And I read that there is up to 230 different accounts of floods coming upon the earth to destroy the inhabitants of the earth. That's, that is just too uncanny to not be true. <laughs> you see, all the evidence is there that the flood happened. Now, the, the flood story is the most frequent cause for past world calamities in folk literature, in ancient fl- folk literature. Now, watch this. Now, the stories of the flood that are nearest the area of the Tower of Babel they correspond more with the biblical story versus other ancient flood stories like the Gilgamesh epic and some others where it says they, they don't give a good reason why God did what he did. For example, in the Gilgamesh epic and some of the others, they'll say, well, the gods said that the people were just too noisy, so they washed them away. <laughs> I wonder if that makes it kind of correspond thinking today. Maybe we're too noisy. Who knows? But they didn't give a good reason in many of those stories, why the lords of the gods, as they said, sent a flood. But the Bible provides a profound theological motivation for why God brought the flood. And you know what it was? It was the depravity of man. It was the wickedness of man. The whole earth was corrupt and it was filled with violence. And I want you to notice that his divine act of destruction in the flood was not arbitrary. You know, God was merely going ahead and finishing off what man had completely corrupted. It was a mercy that God did whenever he brought the flood. You see, man had corrupted his way in violence, in perversion, in all of the things that were going on. Man had corrupted the way that God had intended man to go. And so God in mercy, you know, there were, there were I've said this before in talking of Sodom and Gomorrah. And having been a a prosecutor, especially in juvenile court, for a number of years, there were many children, no doubt, in the pre-flood world who were being abused in horrible ways. You cannot imagine. I've seen some of that myself when it comes to some of the perversions that we've had to prosecute. I'm telling you, there was no hope for those children that were being abused other than divine judgment upon those, those nations. Because those nations and those cultures would not take care of those children. So God, in mercy, wiped them out. <laughs> I've told you before, I could just picture a poor child who's being abused day after day after day. If you think that doesn't occur today, I'm telling you it does. Being abused day after day. If they lived in Sodom, for example, I could just see a poor child, seven or eight years old, being abused with no hope for a future but abuse looking up and seeing that fire and brimstone coming down and saying, thank you, God. I don't have to be abused anymore. Praise. That's a different perspective right there, isn't it? 
Or whenever the flood waters came and the great fountains of the deep were broken up in the days of Noah, those poor children who were being abused, they looked and thought, no doubt, thank goodness, I'd rather be destroyed by a flood than continue to be abused every day like a slave. You see? God was merciful whenever He sent the flood to destroy the earth. You say, oh, that was a long time ago, Brother Tim. Listen to me. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels, invokes the days of Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. What was going on in the days of Noah? Jesus said, it's going to be the same way when I return. Violence. You say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a peaceful person. Well, you know, I, I don't mean to step on any toes or anything, but, and I've been there myself. But, you know, what about violent video games? Think about that. If you're, if you're engaging in that, in, in some sense or another, you're consenting to that. You know, the zombie culture is such a, <laughs> such a big deal nowadays, you know? He said, well, if I'm just blowing a zombie away, it's not really violent. I've seen some of those things, and the graphics are just just atrocious. (laughs) And I'll admit, now, I played some of those video games, you know, when I was younger, shoot-em-ups and all that type of stuff. But can we keep that in perspective? We live in a violent culture. You know, law enforcement only really catches 10 or 15% of the crime that goes on, if that. See, Jesus himself spoke of those days. I thought this was interesting. In both of the letters of Peter, Peter invokes the days of Noah in both letters. In 1 Peter, he speaks of Noah, the days of Noah when the Spirit went to, uh, when the Spirit of God went and preached to those in the days of Noah whenever they were acting in ways they shouldn't act. And then in 2 Peter, in two chapters, he gives specific information about the days of Noah. We ought to learn from the days of Noah. To put it in perspective, does God's Message Does His divine revelation move us with fear? Are we moved by those things? I tell you, as it was in the days of Noah, when God told Noah the message of divine revelation, and Noah moved, he acted, he was apprehensive, he moved out and acted in, in respect of God's message, the same thing applies today. What about how we as parents raise our children? Think about it. I won't use any names or anything, and it was nobody here by any means. But... Several months ago, I had an opportunity to engage a, a young boy in, in regard to some of the things that he was uh, doing. And one of the things that this young boy, who was under the age of 10, was doing is he had this game that he was constantly playing. And he wanted to show me that game. I want to show you this, Brother Tim. I want to show this to you. And so finally, you know, I relented. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll look at this game you're playing. And when he showed me this game, he started showing me the characters. And they're so lifelike. It's just amazing how the graphics are. It's incredible. But he started showing me these characters. This is, a, this is a boy under 10 years old. And I looked at the characters and I was like, good grief. A bunch of those characters were women that barely had any clothes on. I was like, my goodness. And you see a young boy under 10 years old, the, un, the comprehension of that has not kicked in yet. Y'all with me? And yet, because his parents are letting him watch that and not monitoring that, they are pre-programming his mind to engage in things even worse than what was on that game. Are y'all with me? You see, the Word of God speaks to stuff like that, of setting wicked things before our eyes. You know, you're not going to make it through this world without having wicked things come before your eyes. But if we're just force-feeding that to ourselves or to our children, we are kidding ourselves. 
You think about that young man whenever he hits the age of 13 or 14 and he begins to comprehend things because there's things going on in his body that weren't going on before at 8, 9 years old. And he has been pre-programmed to see that kind of nudity and that kind of perversion to think that that's the way things are. I'm going to tell you right now, without God's intervention, there's no hope for that young man. You hear me? And that all goes, you say, well, we need to get on that young man. No, we need to see that that's a parenting issue. See, it's a parenting issue. What we do with our children is no different than what Noah did when he was moved with fear and respect. God's word is a thorough furnisher for us to know how to train and teach our children. Are you going to do it perfect? Nobody's going to do it perfect. Everybody's going to have regrets. It's not about perfection. It's about trying. It's about trying. And I've said this recently. You know, parenting is just not for the faint of heart, is it? (laughs) Especially this day and time. It's not for the faint of heart. There's so many more temptations that are out there. What about... I'll just give you a few examples. We can't hit all the examples, but just consider a few. What about a young couple who decide, well, we want to be married one day. And they say, well, we'll just try to see what it's like and we'll live together. We'll just move in together and we'll live together. You know, we know we're probably going to get married one day, so let's just live together. The problem with that is God's Word whispers a secret to that young couple if they're looking in the Word. And the secret says, the, the Word of God, the revelation says, that's not something that pleases God. You can't try out marriage by living together. No, you either want to, as the old saying goes, you either want to put up or shut up. You know, get married or don't get married. Because God says the blessings and the joy that you're going to experience is found in the covenant of marriage. So you either believe God or you believe what the worldly experts say. Just try it out. And if it doesn't work out, I, I can tell you to some degree or another, it's not going to work out. See? You see, these are just a few examples of the way that we can be moved with fear. Young people, listen to me. If you're tempted in that area, well, we'll just try this out and see if we're compatible. There is a foolproof, bar none way to know if that person is for you or not. And it's not by living together. And it's not by engaging in sexual immorality. It is by looking to the Word of God, listening to the whisper of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, telling you what is right and what is wrong, and sticking to that. That's what Noah did. That's what Noah did. What about the lie that vexes so many uh, men and young men? uh, the, The lie of pornography. You see, God's Word speaks to that. God's Word says that that is a false idol. You see? There is no image and there's no video and there's no picture that can ever respond or hold someone back. You understand that? They cannot, you cannot embrace an image. You see, and God made us, God made men and women so that in the covenant of marriage, they would embrace one another. That's God's plan, you see? And yet if we're just listening, ah, oh, you, you can look but not touch. You know, you can look, it won't bother you. It will bother you. It will destroy you. You know why? Because Brother Tim said so? No, because God said so. God said so. Why did the flood come in the days of Noah? Because God said so. Why did Noah move in respect of God and build the ark? Because God said so. 
You don't have to take my word for it. You don't have to say, well, Brother Tim singled out a few issues today. Try any issue that's out there. Try it by the word of God and, and avoid the flood of judgment that will come by just doing what you want to do. I tell you, these old hearts will get us into some messes, won't they? We're just following our emotions. It will get us into some messes. And I'm so glad that the Word of God, the Bible, is brutally honest. You've got accounts like David. You've got accounts like Solomon. You've got accounts in the Word like Samson. You've got accounts like Lot that don't just show you the pie in the sky stuff, but it shows you the nasty now and now stuff of predicaments and situations that God's children can get in. Oh, but there's always hope. There's always redemption. There's always coming back to the Word of God and saying, Lord, I didn't do it right this time, but I want to do it right this time. Isn't that great? God's not the God of second chances. God is the God of a thousand chances, you see. (laughs) I'm sure there were times when Noah would love to have heard something else from God during that 120 years that he was building that ark, but he just kept on building. Until seven days before the ark, uh, excuse me, seven days before the flood came, and God came and said, okay, everybody get in. You see, even though it was probably 120 years, God was still good to his word, was he not? You see, Noah saved his family from the flood waters of judgment. Now, let me ask you this. You say, how in the world does that really apply to me today? Well, we've already seen that if you'll listen to the Word of God and listen to the secret of God contained in the Word of God, it'll spare you from many, many troubles in this life. It'll spare you from bad friendships. It'll spare you from destruction when it comes to some of the things that I've mentioned Understand, too, in the New Testament, in 1 Peter, the third chapter, Peter himself invokes the flood of Noah's day and the ark of Noah. He says in 1 Peter 3 and 18, he says the like figure. In other words, what he's about to tell us is a comparison to what Noah experienced with the ark. And he says the like figure whereunto baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh. Not you putting away your sins. Christ has done that. But in the same way that Noah and his family went onto the ark and were delivered through the waters of the flood. They were delivered from the wicked world. They were delivered from the wickedness of the world. They got to start over and start fresh. So Peter says, the like figure whereunto baptism, much like the ark, it will save us. It will deliver us from the wickedness around us. It will put us in a place where we're floating upon the gospel waters of God's deliverance and we're enjoying the fellowship of God's people and being spared from many things that are going going on out in the world you see it's not a holier than thou kind of thing it's i'm i'm lower than thou (laughs) you know i want to go and walk with these people of god i want to go and spend time in fellowship with god's people i want to ride on the waters of deliverance from the the gospel church of the lord (laughs) that's what i want what a sweet sweet deliverance it is see you can see examples of this in the scripture too by the way You can look in Acts the 16th chapter and find two glowing examples. You have Lydia and you have the suicidal jailer that Paul encountered there. And Lydia, it says, whenever she embraced the truths of the Word of God, when God whispered in her ear through the preaching of the gospel and said, this is truth, this is is your future, this is what God would have. You know, she was already a child of God. She was already worshiping the Lord. But she got some new information, and it says that she and her whole household were what? They were baptized. They experienced a similar deliverance that Noah experienced whenever he went onto the ark. Because Peter said in 1 Peter 3 that the ark situation is like baptism today. And not only that, the suicidal jailer, after he didn't kill himself because of the good news of the gospel, 
It says that they, he took Paul and Silas home and they washed their stripes. And it says that he and his whole house were baptized. How about that? What kind of deliverance was that? It was a timely here and now deliverance by stepping away from the things of the world and the ruin of the world and following along in the path of light. You see, they were moved in fear. They were moved by the preaching of the gospel. They were moved by the message of grace. And they began to prepare their ark, if you will. We close with 2 Peter, the third chapter. The last place where Peter refers to the days of Noah. And I don't have time to go through it all, but I just want to mention this. 2 Peter, the third chapter. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm in the wrong Peter here. 2 Peter, the third chapter, yes. And Peter says... In verse 3, that there shall come in the last days scoffers that say, where is the promise of His coming? Don't you know they said that in the days of Noah? You say there's a flood coming? Are you crazy? You've lost your mind. And Peter goes on and says that they're willingly ignorant of the fact that there was a flood in the days of Noah. He said the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word that kept the old earth before the flood reserved for the judgment of the flood, the same heaven and earth is reserved by the word of God now unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And he goes on and he says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And Peter says, don't be afraid of this. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. <laughs> Being excited about the return of the Lord. I've heard some people muttering some things like that from time to time. Oh, I just wish maybe the Lord's about to come back. I hope He is. Because <laughs> all our troubles will be over when He does. But if it's a hundred years, five years, one minute from now, 40 days from now, rest assured that He's coming. And if you, want to, if you say, well, I wish the Lord would tell me it is 40 days, like we said at the beginning. He doesn't have to, child of God. His resurrection from the grave secures the fact that He's coming back. How do we want to be found? When he comes back, it could be today. Do we want to be found in respect and love, trying to teach our children, trying to walk as obedient children, trying to honor God and fellowship with one another and glorify him as we go along? Or would you want to be caught? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible? A lot of people were caught in that flood. He was telling the truth. <laughs> Don't be that person. We should be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord. It's going to be the greatest day of our lives when the Lord comes. Even if you've died and gone on to heaven and your spirit comes back, you're going to be back in your body again when the Lord comes. That's going to be a great day. Hey, brothers and sisters, we have God's secret. We have the revelation of God that says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. So now, instead of moving on the fear of men and the fear of the media and the fear of all these things that are cast, or politics or whatever it may be, let's move in the respect and loving fear of God and serve Him. The best way you can do that is by making it known that you'd like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism according to the words of the Apostle Peter. We give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.